Welcome to The Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and less ukulele. In this episode, we're still doing some home fermentation exploration by pulling in our longtime friend, Jeff Renner. He's been a commercial baker and home brewer for over 40 years and knows his way around making a loaf of bread. He's even going to teach us the easy way to sourdough. So sit back. We're getting yeasty. But first, a message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. Up your IPA game with homebrewing techniques, craft beer clone recipes, and a free book from the American Homebrewers Association. Push your brews to the limits with Brewing Eclectic IPA by Dick Cantwell. Or dive into the science and history with IPA, Brewing Techniques, Recipes, and the Evolution of India Pale Ale by Mitch Steele. Join for one year and receive your choice from 60 different brewing books. Head to homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental for offer details. That's homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. Throw the I throw the dough in the fridge overnight, and next thing you know, I get better bread. Well, I got to tell you though, I, I I do not use that. I use uh, about sixty six degrees for my professionals uh, production. Yeah, the, the fridge is the is the the dumb uh, is the dumb easy to do thing at home, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I I do my focaccia for three days in the fridge. Yeah, a lot of people do, and yeah. the last few years. Uh, this has become the the big thing, and we've got a fellow who's just opening a bakery now. He was making uh, sourdough uh, this newer way of uh, long cold ferment, no no uh, kneading, just flipping it over every once in a while, and then he uh, puts it in the fridge for a long time, and then he was baking it in uh, Dutch ovens, and uh, so he started out uh, selling at farmers markets, but that doesn't last very long uh, <laughs> on production. So uh, he's opening this week, uh, or maybe next. I've seen his equipment. I visited him. He's got incredible equipment, uh, big ovens and everything. He's clearly well-financed. Wow. Uh, he's taking that cold ferment uh, to a commercial level. But I've never done much of it with the fridge. I will throw things in the fridge just to retard them. Uh, oh, I-, I was also saying that uh, Denny said that reading my article on sourdough took his sourdough to a whole new level i don't know all the uh biology about it 
Well, neither do I, but we both know how it works. All right. I was yes. going to say, look, I, I think baking and brewing both share the thing of it's a lot of traditions taught mm-hmm. because we know <laughs> we know what works. Sometimes we don't know why, but we know it works, and you can make yeah, a wonderful we, product out of it. Yeah. You yeah. learn those things empirically. Well, and, and, and for me, baking is like I learned brewing. I, I look at a whole bunch of different information and kind of like aggregate all of it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't do anything according to one person's instructions. I take bits from many different people. All right. So we're obviously talking about baking. So, Jeff, why don't you introduce yourself since everybody knows Denny? <laughs> uh, well, I'm Jeff Renner, and uh, I live in Ann Arbor. I've been a commercial baker in an at-home uh, wholesale bakery for 43 years, almost 44 years now. Whoa. Uh, I was a stay-at-home dad. I was a school teacher, junior high school back in the 70s, decided to be a stay-at-home dad. My wife continued to work uh, as a medical technologist. And at the, um, at the uh, co-op nursery school, we with our son and then our daughter, everybody loved the uh, French baguettes that I took to the bake sales. And uh, then there was no bake sale, but people wanted French baguettes. And they asked me if I could make some of them. And I said, well, yeah, uh, my recipe makes eight loaves. Uh, If you want eight loaves, they freeze well. And by golly, they decided that they wanted eight loaves. And uh, so when I had a four-year-old and a four-month-old at home, I started a business uh, like a fool, but I started very slowly, uh, just working, uh, just taking orders occasionally. The way I started the business is I took uh, eight loaves down to the farmer's market and uh, set up a card table and uh, took a bunch of index cards and sliced my bread up and gave it out as samples. And people wanted to buy the bread. I said, no, but I'll take your order. And I wrote orders down on the index uh, card and uh, it spread word of mouth. And uh, at first I did, oh, two, three batches, two or three days a week at the most because I had kids. But as they got older and in school, I uh, uh, was doing more. Then we moved and I built a uh, commercial kitchen in the back of the attached garage. And I had a uh, an attached, a, uh, I put in a pizza oven, big pizza deck oven and a 20-quart Hobart mixer and an eight-foot-long workbench and uh went from there and we've uh, moved once again 33 years ago to a slightly larger uh, bakery which is now i think 170 square feet and uh, <laughs> uh, it works well licensed and inspected the whole thing so i taught myself uh, how to make bread when i we uh when i was a boy i made it uh, because my grandma had arthritis in her hands and could no longer make the homemade bread we all loved uh, but I didn't make it that much. But uh, when I was in grad school, uh, I had a little more time, and I started making it. And at the end of grad school, we went to Europe, and uh, we learned about food that was different from what we grew up with. So that was the height of Julia Child and uh, French cooking, and I taught myself to make baguettes then. So it's been a business since then. We thought I would go back to uh, – uh, a real job of some sort where the kids were in school, but I've never managed. <laughs> I understand that. I was going to say, that's yeah. the story of Denny's life, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. That's been good. Uh, and I tell you what, here in Ann Arbor, uh, p- 
people know me. I'm the bread man. It's a small city, and but by golly, I run into people all the time uh, who know me uh, and know my bread. I was baking four days a week, 80 loaves a day for various customers, including three shops. And then um, when my wife retired 12 years ago, uh, I semi-retired. I considered quitting, but I decided I, I didn't want to do that. So uh, now I bake 60 loaves two days a week for just one shop. And um, I take them in at three o'clock or 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock. And people are waiting for me to put them in the uh, display basket. And uh, it's it's very rewarding. Part of the reason I do it is because it's uh, it's fun to have all these people tell me how much they love my bread. And uh, so it is kind of boring, though. It's the same bread every time, but I don't mind. Uh, I make <laughs> other bread uh, on my own for myself. But I mean, at the same time, you are known for that baguette. So I mean, it's nice to have something to be known for. Yeah, yeah. You said you started baking when you were a kid. How long have you been brewing? Because obviously that was my introduction to you. When I was in grad school, which is roughly 50 years ago, uh, 72, 3, 4, um, I got to, well, we'd go across the uh, border to Canada occasionally, which is quite close, and uh, I'd find beer that was different from uh, uh, pale yellow fizzy beer. And uh, and the one of the ones that introduced I was introduced to was uh, Molson Stock Ale, which is an all malt, 5% uh, light amber uh, beer. I, um, and uh, then I occasionally would buy some imports, although on a grad student's budget, I couldn't do much. And so uh, I decided to start brewing. And uh, boy, information was few and far between. And yeah. some of what we had was really bad. Um, there was one guy who told, who wrote that uh, he discovered the secret with when you dissolve the malt extract into your water, you need to hold it at 153 degrees for an hour. Uh, that was the secret <laughs> he learned. Yeah, yeah. but I uh, then I got Dave Lyons Big Book of Brewing, and uh, that was my introduction to all grain brewing. And I would I brewed extract for about six years, and I did my first all grain in '79, I think. And uh, virtually never did extract brewing after that. And it turned out pretty well. There you go. Well, and just also because, I mean, can people actually still, still get the HBD archives? Or have they gone away now? I think so, yeah. They, they used to be around uh, at least partially, not fully. I think that I found him on the way back. Yeah, and so just to educate the listeners out there, uh, well before there was really a large internet, before there were all these podcasts, before there were YouTube channels and and people talking about beer everywhere, there was the Homebrew Digest, which was your daily email exchange. And Denny and I and Jeff were all members of it. I was one of the minor members of it. That is also still the source of part of the reason why people talk about Jeff Renner as the center of the Homebrew universe. (laughs) Yeah, that was fun. (laughs) <laughs> I just checked. It's still there at hbd.org. Yeah, good. Yeah, the way I got to be the center of the homebrew di- uh, homebrew universe uh, was um, I was always the social chairman of the uh, HBD, I guess. I was telling people, tell us where you are. You might find out somebody else is just down the road from you. You didn't know. And you might learn by getting together. And so people were uh, kidding me about uh, my request that people always append their location to their signature. And uh, 
pretty sub- soon, uh, one of my friends uh, said it, that he was uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, five miles southeast of Jeff Renner. And uh, then somebody else said he was uh, seven miles southeast. And then uh, Jason Henning, who lived in, uh, I think, the Pacific Northwest, but later moved to within a few miles of me here, um, he suggested that we actually set up uh, Rainierian coordinates, uh, the first number of which would be the uh, uh, distance, and the second one uh, degrees uh, uh, on the compass. So I'm at zero zero Rainierian, and uh, I guess you guys are both about two thousand and uh, one hundred twenty to one hundred seventy or so degrees, something yeah. like that. Yeah, there there was a period of time when I knew my degrees relative Rainierian. Uh-huh. And, and by the way, just to also remind people, this is how nerdy the hobby was back in the day. We set up our own polar coordinate system to measure our actual distance and location. That's right. There were two people. <laughs> along with the idea of absolute versus relative Vernarian. That's like- right. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Pat, Pat Babcock said the two would be the same uh, when they finally planted me. <laughs> this is why you know jeff Denny and i go back a long long way yeah oh yeah 25 years at least oh yeah, yeah. but now, given uh, given that we're talking about bread today that the was absolutely the reason why we had, had to have you on because you're the person who i knew had the most bread experience of all the beer people i know so mm. so it just made sense Bread and beer have been intertwined for as long as humanity's written about them. Right? It's very, very, very clear that, I mean, even back, if you go look at the Sumerian stuff, it was like, hey, the bread was, or the beer was made with bread. Yeah. What do you think are the same sort of skills? Like, what, what skills apply to both? Well, I would say bread is a little bit more forgiving because it's such a shorter uh, process. If you get infected beer, you've got a problem. Infected bread may just actually be... Uh, the, firm, the uh, leavening. As a matter of fact, uh, in biblical times and probably in other ancient civilizations, uh, leavening was associated with spoilage or uh, corruption, and they were a little leery of it because you know if you let your your uh, dough sit long enough, it would start to uh, spoil in some way. But by golly, then the the, the bread you made from it was uh, lighter and maybe more palatable than the flatbread that you made with uh, uh, dough that you didn't let sit around and get spoiled. And I was just doing a little uh, researching on ancient attitudes toward leavening and discovered in Leviticus the uh, rules for making uh, an offering to God of grain. You were not allowed to have leaven in it. Uh, It had to be uh, the best and finest flour, but no leaven. So that uh, reflects the idea that there's spoilage. Uh, on the other hand, as I say, spoilage of beer, well, if you're lucky, it might lead to lambic, but it might also lead to something you can't even drink. All right, so God likes lavash. We like le- <laughs> we like leaven beer. Leaven, yes. Um, and, but let's talk a little bit about the fermentation, because I do know, like, it's always funny to me, like, Okay, right, you go sprinkle your yeast into your dough, you know, your first loaf of bread, right? You know, uh, instant yeast, you know, get in there. And you go and sprinkle it in, and you let it sit, sit around for a couple hours, and the next thing I know, now that I've brewed beer for so long, I, I go and I know if I stick my nose in there, it's like, oh, I smell alcohol. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just, so it is funny that you'd say, oh, well, you know, it's kind of spoilage. 
we we talked a little bit up at the front about like doing a retarded fermentation or retarded uh, mm-hmm. yeast proofing and all that. That was something that I'd only really learned about when I first started really seriously exploring bread. But I don't think a lot of people still really know how to do it or 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 use the technique or why to. Because it is the most like right. it's the most similar mm-hmm. to like what we think of as fermentation. Because it is certainly this become very popular in uh, uh, books that have been written lately. And if you read uh, some of the uh, uh, bread groups, which I look at occasionally, a lot of it is the long cold fermentation. Uh, I just did discover it sort of on my own uh, by uh, for my French dough. Uh, I would make it the evening before. Still do. Uh, although when the kids were in school, I made it even earlier, just late afternoon, and uh, then would let it f- uh, ferment overnight in a cool basement uh, around 65, 66, 67, something like that. And then after the kids were off to school, I would uh, shape the loaves and um, uh, then bake them before they got home. So I did discover cool ferment. I wouldn't call it cold ferment. But certainly all of the books and all of the information you would find back in the uh, time when I started in the uh, uh, early 80s, I guess, when we started commercially, always talked about putting the bread in a warm place to rise, uh, away from drafts. And even today, we got a new oven not long ago, and there's a proof setting. My gosh, it must be over 100 degrees. I, oh. uh, what you'll get when you do that is not flavor you'll get you'll get fast fermentation you'll get uh, carbon dioxide which is what you're after but you get flavors that i don't find pleasant at all i agree and so i i think you get more uh lactic acid less acetic acid at the cooler temperatures uh that's certainly the case with sourdough i generally like my sourdough to proof to uh, ferment in the 70s and um uh, I do proof at a warmer temperature, the, the final loaf, but that's just to kind of get things finished up. Well, that's just to get your lift, right? Yes. That, I could do it at cooler temperatures, but it would just take too long. I think the first time I ran into the sort of cool, cold ferment was, uh, was it uh, Peter Reinhardt's uh, Bread Breaker's Apprentice? Like, what yes. was that, like 2000, 2001-ish area? Yeah, that was the first I'd ever seen it, too. Yeah, by, the, uh, by the way, if you're interested in making bread and you want a serious book about it it's hard to go wrong with that one yeah uh, I mean, there's a, there's another one flour water salt yeast by ken somebody another ken with an f uh, and that's a, that's a really good one also but i i have to t- admit that i turn to the reinhardt book more often i know mm-hmm. we were talking about it a little bit earlier we, and none of us is terribly clear on all the biology and the chemical transformations that are happening in this but my understanding is that when you're doing a, a long ferment on your dough. I mean, it's just kind of like what's happening in a beer, right? We're, we're having enzymatic action happen to starches and proteins. We're getting yeah. we're getting sugars formed in the dough. Uh, we're getting flavors developing from the yeast. I mean, there it, it it's literally actually a ferment. Yeah, one of the things about the long slow ferment that I use, as opposed to the traditional typical uh, oh two three hours from beginning to end is that I'm allowing a lot of the uh, natural microorganisms that are in the flour to have their say. So I use very little yeast compared to the typical recipe you'll find on a yeast packet or something like that. Um, I use maybe a quarter or less of the yeast. 
and the long ferment uh, from beginning to end, the last loaves I bake are have been fermenting from the, uh, upwards of 20 hours. So the yeast is having, the commercial yeast is having its say, but the wild yeast and lactobacillus and who knows what else might be in the flour are having a disproportionate uh, effect uh, compared to the, uh, the typical fast uh, firm, uh, rise of bread. And so my French loaves are far more flavorful. And that's been the secret to my success. The bread is just way more flavorful. And that was done traditionally, too, I think, in Europe. They didn't have, uh, they, they didn't have commercial yeast. They had what we call sourdough, although it wasn't always sour. And the, as a matter of fact, the starter I have is not particularly sour. It's a Parisian starter that has probably been modified since I got it 30-some years ago. But my uh, commercial uh, dough does have uh, similarities to sourdough because it ferments so long. And so I get uh, one of the things that grows, no doubt, is lactobacillus of some sort because the dough becomes much more... Uh, uh, acidic uh, and more tangy, I guess I would say, and far more flavorful. Um, right, and and just to remind people, I mean, I assume because you're doing a French baguette, I mean, it's a lean dough, right? So you're pretty much just, absolutely, yeah, your yeast, your flour, your water, and salt, and that's it. That's it. Kind, uh, kind of amazing what you can do just that simply. Yeah, yeah, and it's all white too. Uh, if you use uh, whole wheat, there, um, uh, you're going to get more flavor. The uh, Nutrients that are in whole wheat uh, will support some of those other bacteria and wild yeasts. And I suspect there are enzymes also uh, in the um, in the bran. I'm not sure, but something else happens there. Magic. Yes. Well, it is. Yes. Another thing that happens, uh, I don't need my dough. When I make it up in the mixer, I only mix it up to the shaggy state. And that is... Uh, that no need is becoming very popular too in the last 10 or 15 years, but I discovered it 40 some years ago. And so when I uh, put the dough in buckets to uh, rise overnight, it's very uh, gloppy. I, then I, after I, uh, overnight, I'll knock it back and kind of fold it a bit into a ball and uh, it's noticeably more elastic. And then after three or four, five more hours, it's quite springy as if I'd uh, needed it. And that's uh, from enzymatic action from the yeast and also the lowering of pH from the uh, whatever wild yeast and bacteria are present. So, uh, uh, and that gives a really nice nice texture. I also use a well-hydrated uh, dough compared to some of the old recipes. And that, again, is something that the uh, modern books, modern literature uh, is recommending much more hydrated, though, which is to say more water. What hydration uh, percentage do you use? I think about 66, 67. Okay, um, yeah. And just to educate people on that, on that, I mean, when you're saying 66, 67, it's what, 66% water of flour weight? Is that right? That's correct. The, yeah. Something yeah. called Baker's yeah. percentage. Exactly. Uh, it's 100, the flour is 100%, and you'll use maybe 60, 62 to 70%. Um, depending on what you're after, water, and then maybe 2% salt and 1% yeast right. based so, on the flour. So again, like if you're using, uh, hypothetically, 100 grams of flour, it'd be like 60 grams of water, 2 grams of salt. 
yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. 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 Generally go pretty high hydration also. I'm, I'm up around 68% normally. Uh-huh. For my focaccia, I'm like in the, the 70, 72% area. Oh, yeah. For focaccia. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. But I, I do think it's fine because all this stuff that you're talking about, Jeff, that, hey, you know, you discovered this a while ago, you're mentioning it's, it's being written a lot about now. And you just talked about that bakery at the start of the show that is coming in that it's all that influence of, uh, was it a Sullivan Street Bakery and uh, Jim Leahy over in New York? Like he's the one who really pushed that whole no need, use a Dutch oven, high hydration mm-hmm. dough. Make make a really good loaf of bread with minimal effort. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not familiar with him, but uh, uh, I know that the, the, the people in, that I know, mostly in my homebrew club, that are making uh, bread, uh, they're all doing it in Dutch ovens because they don't have uh, brick ovens or uh, a commercial oven like I have. And it turns out remarkably well. Yeah, there was a, a big book of... Uh, I can't even tell you how many years ago now, like Bread My Way by Jim Leahy, Sullivan Street Bakery. And that was his big thing. And, of course, he got picked mm-hmm. up by the New York Times and promoted out. And, then, and next thing you know, everybody had Dutch ovens, Dutch ovens for their bacon. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I, uh, I had been doing that, but I picked up a, a pan recently. It holds two loaves and kind of like imagine two troughs next to each other, but hooked together, mm-hmm. uh, a perforated bottom. So you get airflow all around. Cause I was always having a trouble like, uh, like during the, the pre-bake rise of my loaves just like flowing all over the place. Right. So, yeah. so this kind of holds them in shape. It's like kind of like a, a metal couche or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as a matter um, of fact, my, well, uh, my uh, uh, baguettes, I bake in pans like that. They're not perforated, uh, but I cheat a little bit because I can fill an oven completely full uh, and let them bake in the same uh, couche, as you say, yeah. as they uh, rise in. Right. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of, that's one of the great things about this pan, man. It's like you don't have to do any more transfer or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get your loaf in there, let it rise, and stick the whole thing into the oven. And uh, I'm getting I'm getting loaves that are not only more aesthetically pleasing, but they bake better too because the shape is more regular. Mm-hmm. So we got pans that everybody needs to go buy. At least go buy a Dutch oven. Since we talked about baker's percentage and a high hydration dough, let's also talk because you mentioned. In beer terms, you underpitch your yeast, right? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, although I'm not a big fan of underpitching yeast and making beer, I do think it makes a difference in making bread. Mm-hmm. What would be a typical percentage for yeast, and like then what are you typically using? Yeah, um, the typical uh, recipes would call for two pa- packets of yeast, which is 14 grams. Um, for two and a half pounds of flour, which is seven and a half cups. Um, now to run that up, I use probably. Well, I'd have to do my arithmetic, but less than a quarter that much. Well, under a quarter that much. For ten pounds of flour, uh, I use uh, um, eighteen grams of instant yeast. Oh wow! Uh, so that's. Um, 10 pounds is five and a, uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a, lot. a little less than five kilograms. I was just trying to think because uh, I'm mixing the two. But, yeah, um, it's, it's a two-thirds of an ounce, I guess. But you see, they're imperial 
imperial measurements are just terrible. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you noticed when I did my baker's percentage uh, example, I did in grams. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I do all I, my baking in grams. Yeah, I, I brew in pounds and ounces, but I bake in grams. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, well, yeah, because, again, I mean, with baking, it's all that percentage thing, right? Uh, so it just makes more, way more sense to have a metric. Yeah, uh, yeah. All right, so we got the a, a radical underpitching of the the yeast in your sort of long ferment uh, doughs, mm-hmm. and then you said basically you mix it up to a shaggy state, get it into buckets, put it someplace coolish but not yeah. cold, and then let it go overnight. Right? Yeah. And another important thing that I didn't realize at first is uh, for, um, consistency. You need to weigh the you need to measure the temperature of the uh, flour and then adjust the temperature of the water for that so i uh average the two at to 60 degrees fahrenheit uh, and uh then the dough because of heat of hydration i think uh ends up about 67 degrees and uh then i put it in the basement at around the same temperature maybe and there's some heat of fermentation but not significant and when it, everything works out at the end of uh uh, 15 hours in the basement uh, or even more because uh, I have several bakes so some comes up earlier than others uh, it's still going to be around 66 67 degrees and if I happen to have a warm spell and the temperature in the basement gets a little high uh, I can tell the dough is uh, a little more slack a little harder to work with um, so I, that cool temperature not only affects the biology going on but some of the uh, just the tactile physical aspect of the dough and that's kind of again where i think baking gets to be that craft i can look at a mash and i can tell whether or not a mash is doing what i need to or Mm -hmm. you know like whether or not it's the right thickness but that's still something relatively minor in comparison to just being able to go and look at a dough and go yep that moves right yes and there's some days what i'm after when i'm uh, shaping my loaves it, it should be dry not literally dry but not, not sticky, not wet. Uh, it should feel dry and airy. Um, it, it has a feel for it. And sometimes it isn't, and I can't figure it out. And uh, there's another f- fellow who's since retired who has a bakery uh, making similar products, but he went much uh, more commercial than I. And uh, I'd run into him every once in a while uh, at a, the store where I was delivering, and uh, We'd compare how our dough turned out that day, and some days we couldn't figure it out. Boy, it just didn't want to behave today, did it? And uh, <laughs> seemed to be the same thing. But I can predict that if it's a beautiful fall afternoon with a high pressure area, low humidity, it's going to turn out for sure. Um, and I don't know that why humidity should have any effect on it, because the dough is always... Uh, 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 fermenting in a bucket with a lid on it, but it sometimes uh, it seems like it might, but not consistently. Uh, I mean, look, it might be an extreme case, but here in Los Angeles, every time I look at a dough recipe, I know I got to up the the water just a little bit. Well, you know what? Especially if you've had the flour for a while, because the humidity is so low, it's going to dry out that flour. Uh, the flour is probably coming to you with fourteen uh, percent uh, moisture. You, you may be getting it down to 10% or something. Oh, yeah. And so uh, that's the reason there. Yeah, it's always fun when you you start to learn that 
recipes are not precise and they have a little bit of wibbliness in it based on reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so we got your, you said you're using a Parisian culture that you've had now for 37 years and keep going. So I assume for my fun bread, not for my commercial bread. Oh, okay. So for your commercial bread, are you using, you know, just commercial yeast then? Yeah. Saf instant yeast, okay. uh, Saf instant yeast, which is also sold at the grocery store, I think is, um, Oh, uh, I forget what it's called. Bread machine yeast, maybe? Something. Um, that, yeah, I got a couple of pounds of that in my freezer, as a matter of fact. Yeah, but I get it in one-pound vacuum bricks. Uh, yep. I've okay. used, in early COVID, uh, I wasn't able to, well, I wasn't able to get anything. I was within a, about a uh, two days of running out of yeast, and finally I got some. But uh, the uh, company I get it from had Fleischmann's for a while, also instant yeast, and also Red Star. They seemed interchangeable to me. Um, but I really like that because you, the instant yeast, you can mix straight in to your uh, dry ingredients and then add the liquid, and it uh, hydrates the yeast and activates it right in place. It's a, a different uh, strain that's been selected for that, but it's also a finer uh, granule, so it hydrates uh, more quickly. And as long as you uh, keep it out of uh, ice water, it works just great. And uh, that has greatly simplified and um, standardized my uh, baking. When I started, I used uh, uh, one-pound blocks of uh, compressed wet yeast. Mm -hmm. And um, as that gets a little older, it gets a little uh, less vigorous, same as with uh, uh, brewing yeast. And then I was using... uh, uh, active dry yeast, which you have to hydrate first, the same as uh, dry uh, brewer's yeast should be done, although I guess there's some strains that you don't have to now. And uh, if, it, if it sat uh, in the uh, pitcher uh, while I was making the first batch and then the second batch, and then the third batch, and then the fourth batch, uh, it had already gotten uh, weakened because uh, it only had so much of the yeast foods uh, available and after 30 or 40 minutes, they poop out. So this is really, the instant yeast has really uh, simplified my uh, baking. And I cannot tell any difference in quality. Some old timers say, ah, oh, you got to use the uh, compressed uh, wet yeast. And uh, I, I find no difference at all. It's really good. This is one of those things I've noticed as I've gotten older is that there's always going to be the old timer who's telling you you're doing it oh, wrong. Oh, yeah. And get off my grass. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So establishing that dough is already a fermentation, I, I know that during early COVID, suddenly a lot of people decided that they needed a new pet and they went yes. out and they started to do sourdoughs. Again, with my humidity around here, I've, I have trouble with sourdough, so I haven't had a lot of success. Um, but both you and Denny, you guys both do sourdough. So yep. can you all mm-hmm. walk people through uh, one, I assume most people are going to start with an actual starter and not trying to capture something out of their air. Yeah, although I have uh, I have made some starters, and uh, they've been very effective when I have uh, was visiting my daughter. I just, uh, uh, her starter I left with her had been killed through uh, abuse. <laughs> but anyhow, I just took some whole rye flour, and rye flour seems to, especially yep. whole rye flour, seems to really uh, invigorate a starter. I like to Amen. use that. Yep, and Reinhardt, besides recommending that, also recommends using pineapple juice. Hmm, that's probably for the lower pH, I would guess. 
I would uh, guess so too. Yeah. And I know a lot of people like who have like, you know, done like flour and water and put pieces of celery or apple or whatever in it to get that the microbes to get it started. Um, yep. For me, it's like, you know, I tried doing that a few times, got inconsistent results. Uh, I bought a starter from a place called Cultures for Health, and it was very effective, but I, I couldn't really get it to develop the kind of flavor I wanted from it. So fortunately I discovered a neighbor that I could get a starter from and it was, uh, it was pretty good to start with. And the one thing that I think that I've learned is that if you want your starter more sour, then you need to abuse it. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't feed it as often, right? I, I keep mine in the fridge and generally feed it about once a week, but now That's I'm more like often that. than I do. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, now I'm down to like a week and a half, two weeks. Uh, I, I stir the liquor back in instead of pouring it off. Uh, and, and this starter is just really coming around and making some really nice bread. Another yeah. trick, um, I've been, I've been using, uh, the, uh, uh, King Arthur, uh, extra tangy sourdough recipe. It seems to have a lot of good tips. Mm-hmm. And one thing they mentioned too is that if your bread isn't getting as sour as you like, add a quarter to half a teaspoon of citric acid uh and i started yeah. trying that and that that works that really works pretty well it's not quite the same as getting your starter soured out more but it works pretty mm-hmm. well i actually don't like my uh, uh sourdough bread all that sour just slightly nothing at all like san san francisco as a matter of fact the starter i got came from a famous parisian uh bakery poilan p-o-i-l-a-n-e uh, 33 years ago, a friend of mine, a baker friend, brought it back. And uh, I'm sure that it has uh, changed with the local m- microbes in the air and also the flower uh, microbes. But it is also rather active and not terribly sour. And French uh, pan de campagne, uh, which is the typical Levant uh, raised uh, bread, is not particularly sour. Uh, maybe just like a Jewish rye or something like that. And so I, I, I like mine not terribly sour, but I don't I don't feed mine in between bakes. And since I've developed diabetes, I can't eat as much bread as I used to. So I only bake every three four weeks and keep the bread in the freezer. And uh, so I only feed my starter every three or four weeks. Now I must admit, if I go that long, it's kind of sluggish. It's better not to go longer than two weeks. And the bake the batch I made uh, yesterday was. A batch that uh, that started had only been um, uh, stored for maybe two, a little less than two weeks. But uh, yeah, I just take a couple of tablespoons, beat it into a cup of water, and add a, four ounces of whole grain flour. Uh, I aerate it well, and uh, then let it sit uh, in a warmish place. But I that just means seventies uh, overnight, and by the next morning, it's it's pretty frothy. And then I proceed from there. By the way, um, my sourdough instructions, which Denny uh, said made a difference in his sourdough baking, uh, you can find online in uh, our homebrew club, aabg.org, and then just search for sourdough. And uh, pretty extensive instructions there. Yeah, well, they are. They're, they're great. And we'll post a link to that uh, along with this episode. Absolutely. Great. So, no, one thing I do think is interesting listening to both of you is that uh, 
the thing I I've, I've always thought was intimidating about sourdough baking was the idea that like you know you do really have a new pet that you have to take care of, <laughs> and you all seem to be the sort of more on the side of neglectful pet care, and that it still works. Yeah, it, it gets sleepy, but uh, you can get it back into shape. Yeah, again, and, and, you know, it's like when I was trying to really be anal about, you know, making sure that I fed it every week on exactly the same day and stuff, the the sourdough starter was still active and would rise fine and stuff, but the, the flavor was fairly bland, and so I found <laughs> – well, you know me, man. I'm I'm like lazy. Uh, I, I just don't get around to things. So uh, I found that when I started abusing my starter, I started getting a lot more flavor out of it. And then, and then still, I I, I do uh, the overnight uh, ferment like Jeff was talking about and stuff. Uh, basically. Just, just so you know, basically my steps for, for making like a batch of sourdough bread, uh, take my starter out of, out of the fridge, keep it in the quart jar, right? So I take it out of the fridge, let it sit out for a couple hours to kind of get it kicking, uh, pour that into my mixer bowl, feed it with uh, an equal amount of flour and water to whatever the starter is, uh, let that go for about four hours, uh, pull off some of that to save. Then I use, I think it's like 370 grams of it for the next loaf. Uh, I mix in the flour for the loaf. Uh, let that sit for another four hours. Then that goes into the fridge overnight. And then early the next morning, I'll take it out, add the final amount of flour and the salt, uh, beat the crap out of that to get a lot of air into it. That's the other thing I've discovered. Uh, as in beer, yeast like air, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, and, and also, you know, you notice that I'm adding the salt late in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. It, yeah. 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 Um, and then so, you know, so then after I get all that mixed up, I give that another four hours or so, uh, form my loaves and give those four or five hours to rise also. So altogether, there, man, you've got like, you know, between 16 and 20 hours of rising over the course of two days. Well, actually more than that, because there's at least 12 hours of it that happens in the fridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tell people that the bread takes time, but it is your time. Yeah, that's right, man. Again, with like all these techniques of overnight resting and, you know, all that, the the amount of active time isn't really any higher when you're doing this. It's just you got to plan ahead and make sure you give yourself plenty of waiting time. Yeah, yeah right. it's good to do on weekends if you're uh, working or if, like, or, Denny and me, you be retired. Yeah, I know, man. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing, one of the main things that gets in the way of my sourdough baking is this damn podcast. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, and I work two days a week, so yeah. Part of what I like about the whole new idea of, hey, it's home fermentation days. Again, making bread is fermentation. It's, you know, it's a different sort of fermentation. We're not making alcohol at the end of the day. Not really. Uh, although if you have a good craft loaf, you can sometimes still get a boozy whiff from it after it comes out of the oven. Um, but it's still a ferment. We're still managing, you know, what flavors we get out of the yeast, what flavors we get out of our ingredients. Um, and so just to sort of summarize it when we're looking at it from a point of view of, I want to make a good loaf of bread, the Jeff Rareway slash Denny Conway. It sounds like the keys are 
well, obviously, good flour is always going to be a thing. Yeah, well, I mean, again, like like beer, uh, quality ingredients give you quality result. Yeah. Uh, I either I either use uh, King Arthur bread flour or Bob's bread flour. I find both of those really good. Yeah. And I like to uh, I use one hundred percent whole wheat or five ten percent whole rye in the balance whole wheat uh, wow. for health reasons, and I get good rye. And um, there's no question that the uh, the culture is happier with some whole whole grains. Um, yep. Yeah, but again, don't go and use flour that was milled 900 years ago or some indeterminate period of time. Especially if it's whole grain, because it'll go rancid. And you know, and there, and there's a mill just a few miles from me, uh, and I keep intending to get some of their flour and give it a try, because the bread that they make with the flour they make is just amazing. Yeah, there's a little local mill on the other side of Pasadena for me, Grist and Toll, and they have uh, they have a, a wheat flour that they do made with uh, a Sonoma wheat, an original California wheat, mm-hmm. and uh, boy, that's got some uh, that's got some character and it's got some chew to it. Fun to play with. High, high gluten. Yeah. yeah. Uh, here's a trick: if you're using freshly milled flour, um, yeah. you need to get the uh, flour aged a bit if you. Uh, can one one trick to that is bleaching flour, which is one reason that flour is bleached, not just for looks. But most of us don't want to do that. A pinch of ascorbic mm. acid will uh, do that. It'll oxidize oh. the gluten and uh, oh, make wow. it much better. So I use an eighth of a teaspoon in ten pounds. Oh yeah, and, that's a uh, tiny amount. You, you, oh yeah, and you, yeah, I think it's fifteen parts per million is effective, and you can't use too much. That just simply doesn't hurt. Yeah, I got that tip from a cereal chemist. Yeah, you probably didn't know there was such a thing, but there is. Better, so, better yeah. than a cereal killer. That's right. They get that <laughs> joke all the time. Oh, man. <laughs> so, yeah. you, take, you take that small amount of ascorbic acid, you mix it into the flour, and then can you use it directly, or do you do you mix it in and then like wait a day or some period no, of time? No, no. It has immediate action. Okay. I actually dissolve it. when I, I dissolve my salt in the uh, water. Yeah, uh, and, me too. Because uh, that way you don't have to worry about uh, whether it's uh, dissolved. And I just put a, put that little bit of uh, ascorbic acid in at the same time. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it's a good trick. There you go. Good flour, some ascorbic acid if it's if it's too fresh. Underpitch your yeast into the into the gizmo. High hydration yep. dough. Beat the uh, beat it to to shaggy state, and then let it rest overnight in a cool environment, not necessarily cold. Cool, and then the next day, then do your shaping. Any tips about shaping or baking that people should think about? Well, you want to not uh, uh, squeeze all the air out by rolling it too tight. You'll get a although. If you want a very fine uh, texture with tiny, tiny bubbles, that's good. But most of us like uh, some bigger, bigger air bubbles in it. So um, you, you just try to be a little bit uh, delicate. Uh, you've got to push hard on it to seam to seal the seams um, so it doesn't come open. But don't don't uh, mash too hard on it. Another thing is if you're uh, shaping the loaves and there's going to be a seam, put the seam on the bottom. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't split open, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, next thing you know, you've you've gone from a jelly roll to a f- uh, flatbread. Yeah. Well, I, and now I let my bread rise 
uh, my, uh, what I'm making. And I make different kinds of bread. I, the sourdough I just made was a sandwich loaf um, in an old-fashioned bread pan. It just looks like any other stuff. All that rises really well. But um, if I'm doing a, uh, oh, my called country loaf, um, I let it rise upside down in a basket called a banneton or banneton mm-hmm. uh, with, a, um, with a tea towel, a flowered tea towel in it. Um, and uh, then I just invert it carefully onto uh, uh, a um, piece of parchment and slide it into the oven. And I like a baker's stone if I'm using my home oven. Oh, yeah. Um, people, now, the modern thing is baker's steel, and uh, people love those. It seems to me that that's likely to make um, get too much heat too quickly, but I don't know if that from experience. I'll tell you, the steels are they're heavy. And yeah. the primary thing I use it for is making pizza, where you need yeah. to deliver a lot of heat in a hurry. Uh, but yeah, with bread, I'm always a little dicey on whether or not it's going to burn the bottom of the loaf. Yeah, yeah. My pizza oven has a uh, inch and a quarter thick stone at the bottom of it. Oh, and, that's uh, nice, man. And there's another thing: uh, um, uh, spray your loaf if it, if you don't want to uh, have the decorative flower on it. Some of it you do exactly, but. But spray it, and it'll uh, let it rise a little bit more and make a nicer crust. And then uh, if you can figure out a way of putting steam in the oven at first. Um, now, I found out that throwing it in a ho- the bottom of a home oven warps the uh, steel bottom of the oven and probably is going to get you in trouble with the uh, other people who live in your house and uh, don't appreciate that. But uh, I throw it in on my pizza oven stone, and it works just great. makes lots of steam. Yeah, and I used to just throw it on the bottom of my oven. I, I don't, I don't know if it warped. It sounded like it did, but it seems to still be okay. But yeah. since then, I, I've, uh, I've taken to, uh, to just putting a, a metal pan in. And when I put the yes. bread in, I pour in like a cup of boiling water. But I yeah. do the same thing you're talking about, man. I spray the loaves. Uh, you know, uh, my, one of my main, bugaboos at this point in time is the the slashing i cannot get good slashes in my loaf i got the little razor blade holder and thing man and it's like Mm -hmm. if i get if the dough is as is as wet as i want it to be to get good texture in my loaf i can't slash it if i if i want to slash it i got to make a drier dough and then i don't get the texture i want in my loaf well good i'm glad it's not just me then yep but uh with experience you can get it to, to do it uh, I had, one I of the ways I'd, is pinch it apart, kind of like your uh, uh, the pinching motion where you want a oh, picture on the screen yes. bigger. Yeah, right. pinch it apart, and then you'll pull it as you slash it. Try not to slash your fingertips, though. Yeah, um, but, but, but what you're saying is put some tension on the dough right. there, so, yep. so that when mm-hmm. I oh, brilliant, brilliant man, there's something about uh, doing this for forty some years, huh? Yeah. The other trick is to not slash straight down, but at an angle, I, uh, more I nearly do. parallel. Yeah, yep. more nearly yep. parallel to the surface of the bread. Yep, yep. I, that that I've been doing, but man, I think the tension is going to make a huge difference for me. Well, if you learn nothing else today, <laughs> really, man. Well, and then to your point about the the water and the steam, that's part of the reason why people start to do the Dutch ovens, right? Because then I you think get, so. Because then you can depend on the hydration and the dough to provide some of that steam bounce. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so it, it's all it's all good. All right. Before I let everybody go and hopefully encourage people to go try their hands at making some bread, anything else people should think about? Uh, think about how much bread you're going to start eating once you start baking your own. 
Yeah. <laughs> that, that happened to me, man. Definitely not the hobby to take up if you're about to start keto. You know, and the one thing we didn't yeah. cover, and we won't right now because it uh, we're we're so long on this, uh, is what to do with your sourdough discard when you feed it. And I have a I, I use a, a recipe for uh, sourdough parmesan butter crackers, and I have another sourdough discard recipe for like dinner rolls that I also turn into hamburger and hot dog buns. So maybe we'll talk about that sometime. Well, I'll just add that. Uh, using my tech, you don't technique. You don't have discard because you just start with a couple tablespoons. Right. Yep. Yep. That's <laughs> that's true, man. But on the other hand, you don't get these delicious dinner rolls and crackers. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you can also make pancakes. It's true. Oh yeah. Right. Yep. If I if if I ate pancakes, I would be doing that, and I'd eat pancakes if my wife did, but she doesn't. So what's the point? Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, obviously, there is a hell of a lot of things that we could cover about the world of bread baking. So if you all have any questions that we didn't cover here or any other thoughts about baking that you want us to talk about, let us know at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. And if you want to figure out exactly where you are in relation to the center of the homebrew universe, just go look at hpd.org and you can calculate your absolute renarian. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this look at how to make that wonderful loaf of bread. Look, you brew. You should bake, too. They're intertwined fermentation arts. And isn't fermentation just magic? So now remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at ESP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can click the HA or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is the National Disaster Search Dog Foundation, helping take rescue dogs and make them into rescuers. Until next time, remember the brew is out there. And we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. The next generation of countertop home distillation systems is here. The all-new Airstill Pro from Still Spirits is a revolutionary still that will look right at home alongside your everyday kitchen appliances. This small-batch 2-in-1 distillation system operates in either pot still or reflex mode and allows you to craft high-quality light and dark spirits at home. No hoses, no complicated assembly, just plug-and-play. The Airstill Pro column cools itself with a built-in high-powered fan. The Still Spirits Airstill Pro is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer. Learn more about the Airstill Pro at stillspirits.com or check them out on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube.